Welcome to the Food for Thought Lunch Break with Steve Bookbinder podcast, the show that gives you things to think about when you're trying to make more sales without all the seriousness of conventional sales talks. Enjoy and learn as he makes fun of sales training, salespeople, and sales trainers, including himself, all while giving you battle-tested strategies that work. Now, here's your host, Steve Bookbinder. Hi, everybody. This is Steve Bookbinder, your host for Saturday with Steve. Welcome to those of you who just found the show. Those of you who started by listening to Food for Thought and then found Saturdays with Steve, welcome here. If you've never been here, you've been here before, welcome back if you've been here before. Today, we're going to be talking, as we always do, to business owners or anybody that owns their territory, literally the owner of the business or literally the owner of that territory, but anybody who whose main responsibility is to grow those sales, maybe start from scratch or increase where you are now. That's who Saturdays with Steve is for. And today, I'm honored to have the opportunity to uh, both receive a fan mail, but also have this uh, opportunity to address it. And today, I got an interesting question uh, in the mail. I printed out these uh, uh, letters, and I, I don't like to reveal anybody's actual name or the company or anything like that try to keep everybody anonymous, but let me just sort of summarize what this one said. It says, I am in business for my second year. I'm just starting my second year, and they describe how their first year was hard work, and they did well, and they worked as hard as they possibly could, but this year their goal is to increase sales. How can they do that, and is there something they should be tracking? So that's the question, and let me address that in this way. First of all, let's just be honest, salespeople generally are not good at tracking things. Oh, we're good at a lot of things. Explaining things, giving reasons for something, uh, presenting, we're great at that. Making stuff up on the spot is something that a uh, a good salesperson can often do. But tracking, now, if we were good at tracking, we would have gone into the accounting business where tracking is all they do. So, so how are we going to deal with this tracking when we're not good at it? Well, the first thing we need to figure out is how do we simplify? Now, some people have simplified it to this degree. They have machine-generated counts of things. So some salespeople belong to organizations with enough of a budget that they have phone systems, for example, and other kinds of systems that track the number of phone calls they make, the number of minutes they talk, talk time, or the number of emails they send or something like that. And they get these quantity counts. How many meetings did I go on? There's a quantity. Now, how many of the meetings were good meetings? The quality, you can't easily track that and you can't machine generate a quality count. So you have to go, uh, you have to mix a bunch of numbers to get a quality count. A lot of times the numbers don't help us. Sometimes they do. So let me just give you my feelings about tracking. First of all, let's recognize that tracking is not something we're good at. So we have to simplify the problem. Second of all, why? Why are we tracking? Whenever you're tracking anything, why are you tracking it? So again, if you listen to sales managers, you listen to sales trainers, they'll tell you to track a whole bunch of things, some of which will take forever, some of which sound good in theory, but you can't really put your arms around how would you get the data to track that. But here's the main thing. Sales is mostly about not succeeding. 
we we start with a huge lead list of which we only reach a certain percentage of those. Then we reach out to those people and only a small percentage engage. Then we reach out to those people and a fewer of them actually talk to us. Then we talk to a bunch of those people, not all of them, but some of them, and only some, maybe half or less, will talk to us a second time. Some of them will ask us for a proposal, but never talk to us after we send the proposal. So when you finally look at the number of sales we got, Compare that to the number of leads we began with or appointments we began with or proposals that we sent. We mostly see this. We're losing, 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 and it could be a very depressing thing. We started off with a million leads. We closed one sale uh, six months later on which we got paid three months after that. Makes you want to jump out the window. So don't track just to beat yourself up. Don't track just to find out what's wrong because there's no end of things that are wrong in that sense. We have to rethink the way we even define the words, it's wrong. You know, in fact, the words, it works. What does it works means? You know, here's what it works means. Doesn't work every time. Nothing works every time. Nothing even almost works every time. If you were getting a result of one out of a hundred, then you completely changed everything you did. And after that, you started tracking that success happened two out of a hundred times. Well, in the first scenario, where you were only closing one out of 100, it failed 99 times out of 100. The second time, it failed almost the same, 98 out of 100. So you can't define it works by it works all the time. All you need is that one more time. It works means one more time it worked because that's so incredible. One out of 100 versus two out of 100, the results improved by 100% even though it mostly didn't work at all. So you really have to think like that. And so my overall high-level notion about any tracking is this. Start off psychologically, mentally, emotionally, from the point of view of, can I find something that's encouraging? Can I find something in my numbers that show that I'm winning? Because guess what happens when I find anything that's winning? I get excited. I get re-motivated. I am redoubling my efforts. I'm trying more. What happens when all you see is stuff you lost? You give up. Eventually, you just give up. So I don't want you to give up. I want you to keep going. I want you to find positive in a world of negativity, which is what most people get stopped because they see a lot of negative, they get stopped successful people, whether they're successful salespeople or successful anybody, the fact that there's a lot of negative isn't what stops them. They are going because there's one thing that's working. That's what we need. So let me help you find those things. Let's start off. I've got nine different kinds of things to track. First of them, very related, the first two actually, I want you to look at your pipeline or think about your pipeline if you don't have a pipeline or think about the things that are in the works, sales in the works. They're they're beyond lead. They're beyond a name on a piece of paper. You're actually going after them in some way, social selling or email marketing or text marketing or phone call, some somewhere in there. And you'll see, of course, that there are stages, there's beginning stages, there's middle stages, there's end stages. And the very last stage, just before you close something, might have a percentage like 90% or you might call it 80% or you might even call it 95%. I hate percentages because that can be so misleading. But let's call it this, almost 
closed. So just just before it closes, it's almost closed. So I had a conversation with a prospect last week, and we had had several conversations, and we got closer and closer and closer to closing. And finally, they said, could you send me a contract? And I said, when do you think I'll have the signed contract back? And they said, get me the contract. We'll get you the signed contract back in a week. Okay, I didn't close it yet. I can't invoice it yet, but I am surely almost closed. So the question becomes, what is the target number of almost closed? Let me put this another way. When you look at your pipeline, the question you need to be able to answer initially is this question. What is my pipeline supposed to look like? So if you look at your almost closed column and you see one thing, we see three things, we see five things, we see zero things. You're not just supposed to feel bad. What you're supposed to do is first say, well, what's supposed to be in that column? If I figured out that I could be successful if I had four almost closed and the thinking process might go like this, four almost closed means that probably three will close. Say, I don't need four to close one because almost close, like in my example story, I said that the person told me to send them a contract. People will sometimes do that. But I said, when will I have the sign contract back in my hot little hands? I didn't say it quite in those words. But that's their answer to that becomes my decider of whether this is almost closed or not. If they said, you know what, get it to us. We'll get you the signed contract whenever we get to it. I'm not putting that in the almost closed column. But if they say, yeah, we'll get it back to you right away next week. Great. Or this week. Great. Great. Almost. So I need four to get three. I need you to figure two numbers. First, the ideal number, the the target number, the aspirational number, which requires a lot of work. You know, if you say to yourself, I just need three in that column, knowing I'm not going to close three, I'm going to close probably two if I have three, then I have to make sure that the value, the average value of that sale is worth it. So if three is right, then go with three. If four is right, then go with four. But if let's say four is wrong, let's say what you need is 20. You go, I, I can't, no, I, I need 20. Well, here's the problem. To get 20 almost closed sales, you're going to have to do it in one of two ways. One, you're going to have to have a much, much, much smaller, faster to close sale, something that, that has a really fast selling cycle. 20 is almost impossible to do every month. Or forget trying to get 20. Say I just need one almost close, but it's got to have the value of 20 smaller sales. So I'm either going to change the value of that thing that's almost closed or the number of things that are almost closed. But either way, I've got to decide aspirationally what the target number is, and then I can start tracking. And if you track nothing else but that, what am I supposed to have every month? How many actual prospects every month have to pass through this almost closed stage? How many different prospects did I have in the almost closed? And what was the target number? So I look at the target number, the actual number, and I know if things are going well or not going well. And the thing that will tell me that, that about it is this, is my prospecting going well? See, so forget about the proposals you close, forget about information gathering. Just let's assume for a moment that if we speak to enough first appointments, eventually somebody becomes almost closed. The best way to think of a lever on my almost closed column, in other words, what lever could I pull that will give me more almost closed sales is I need to change the initial number of leads I go after, my my first appointments. How many people am I prospecting to? So let's look at the almost closed column on a aspirational and a reality basis. And right away, you'll know if you're prospecting enough, if you're doing it regularly, if you're moving sales along, and you'll know if you're basically effective or not. You'll certainly see how far 
you are away from hitting your goal. So it's one thing to go, gee, I'm missing my goal, but it's quite another thing to do a gap analysis and say, I'm supposed to have five things almost closed and I have three things that are almost closed. So I need two more. I can... I could solve the need to more. I could solve that by changing the average order value, as I said, or changing the number of first appointments. I could specifically change to arrive at the destination of two more. Okay. That's the first two things to track. The next four things become really easy after you do it the first time. The first time you do it hard, not really hard, but a little bit hard, but the next few times you do it super easy. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to look at your pipeline every week, but I want you to go into the meeting. Now, I've told you one thing I want you going in with, of course, the notion of what it's supposed to look like, but I want you to do one more thing. I want you to do a last week versus this week report. Let me explain. Last week versus this week. What was this number last week? What was this number this week? And this way, I'm going to look at week over week changes, and I actually want to have my weeks very consistent. The biggest mistake that salespeople make is they're really busy, crazy busy one week. They slow down the next week. They, they go on a lot of first appointments last week, and therefore they didn't make new first appointments. Or they made a lot of first appointments last week, and now they're going on those first appointments this week, but not making more. So they're not uh, replacing those. So we have to be careful about using up prospects that, and not replacing. That's our biggest caution. So last week versus this week, we're going to look at four things. First, number of first appointments. So let's say when I looked at my calendar, my diary, my pipeline, and if I and, and uh, hopefully I'm tracking which of my appointments are first appointments. And to be clear, there are three kinds of first appointments. There's the most classic first appointment. I'm calling a company I've never called before, meeting a person I've never met before, has no, they don't know me, I don't know them, reached out to them in some way, maybe a combination of social and email and phone calls, and so, or maybe it was an inbound lead and they, they asked for an appointment. But either way, it's a first appointment, classic first appointment. Or it's this one, a more common first appointment. I met with the ABC company a year ago. I met with a person named Mr. B., he and I had a great first meeting, and after that meeting, he kind of went silent. And then I finally got in touch with him, and he said he had to put the whole issue on a back burner, told me to get in touch with him a few months later. So now it's a few months later, and I call him, and I said, hey, remember almost a year ago, we first reached, and you told me to call you back now? Well, it's now, and I'd like to talk to you now. How about Tuesday at 3? Something like that. So I'm restarting an old account. I'm reinvigorating. I'm re-beginning uh, a sale that had started before, had then gone fallow for so long that in our uh, CRM, we would have moved it from a, a sale, from an actual live opportunity to a closed lost or something like that. And now we're going to open it up again. It's a closed. We're going to start with a new opportunity. We're starting again. So we're restarting an old sale, which is a majority of our leads are probably that. Another kind of a first appointment is I'm an existing account, account manager. So I handle existing accounts. I actually know my customer very well. I meet with them all the time. But this is the first meeting to talk about the new contract or the first meeting to talk about a new piece of business. Or it's an existing contact Rather, it's an existing customer, but it's a new contact 
within that. So it's a first appointment with somebody new within an existing contact, which may be important if I'm focused on going wide and deep and getting deeper penetration into the account. So let's look at total number of first appointments, however you're counting them. What was that number last week? What was that number this week? If it was 10 last week, in other words, if I looked at my calendar, I had 10, I want 10 this week. Now, presumably I went on some of those appointments. So maybe I went, I had 10, went on five of them. So it, if I didn't replace any, I'd be down to five. I don't want to be down to five. I want the number to always be 10 if I think 10 is the right number. And 10 is a really good target number. That's an average of two appointments a day. Really, one to two appointments a day every day on average, that alone will solve most of your sales problems. Now, after an account is a first appointment, just picture that. Let's say you're my uh, prospect and you and I have an appointment to meet today at two o'clock. So moments before I walk in, if you thought about it from where are you in my pipeline, you're actually a lead. Then you're a first appointment, an, an appointment that, that's about to happen. Then I go on that appointment. Depending upon how that appointment goes, we're going to get closer to or further from a close. Let's say I show up and you're not there. You're a no-show. Well, you got further from close. Let's say I show up and you say, this is interesting, Steve. I never need to talk to you again. You got further from close. Let's say you, you meet with me and you say, you know what? Interesting. I think we need to talk more. Let's come back. Why don't we talk again next Tuesday at 3? And, and so we create a next scheduled step. When we create a next scheduled step, it remains an opportunity. It is now moved from first appointment to a prospect. A prospect is better than just any old lead. It's an any old lead that I think I have a strong reason to suspect I'm going to close because we met at least once and now we have a next scheduled step. So I want to look at those sales in progress, those number of prospects, which by the way, include my almost closed. So if you look at the far end of the pipeline working toward the beginning, we have almost closed near the far right, if you're doing it uh, from left to right. So that's the uh, the far right, uh, almost closed. In the middle where you're showing proposals, it's probably somewhere around the middle of the sales cycle. And at the beginning where you're gaining information and you're qualifying them, you're at the beginning of the sales cycle. But when you look at the beginning, middle and end, and all together, you've got the number of live prospects. What was the number of prospects you had last week? What was the number you have this week? So suppose last week I had 10 prospects, but I closed one of them at the end of the week. This week, I'll only have nine. Well, the good news is I closed the sale. The bad news is I'm down, I'm down a prospect. In fact, watch this. Let's say the prospect I closed had been in my almost closed column. Well, not only did I close a prospect, I closed my best prospect. Well, how many prospects do I need to replace my best prospect. When you think of it like that, it's scary. So let's look at the number of prospects we had last week and this week. We want that number to always be the same, reflecting that we have disciplined ourselves to replace everybody that we lose. And we lose prospects when they drop out, when they tell us to not call us anymore. We lose them when they go radio silent, but we also lose them when we close the sale. So we want to maintain the same number of prospects despite them leaving or closing. The third thing we want to look at in terms of last week versus this week is the total value. Now, let me be clear about this. A lot of times people put in their pipeline these percentages. So on one column, they'll call it 25%. And then in the middle, like where you put your proposals, uh, 50%. And then at the end, 90%. But here's what people will do. They'll look at that 50% column, for example. And let's say you've got two accounts in there. And each one is worth $50,000. So it's a $50,000 deal and another $50,000 deal. So together, it's $100,000 made up of two prospects. 
Well, a lot of people will factor it. They'll go, well, I'm only counting on half of it coming in. So I'm only going to count on 25 of the 50,000. So instead of counting on 100,000 together, I'm going to count on 50,000. That is common. I believe it's also a mistake. Why? Here's why. You don't have a $25,000 prospect. You have a $50,000 prospect. A $25,000 prospect would have a shorter sales cycle than a $50,000 prospect, which has a bigger sales cycle. So when you start to look at it that way, I want you to take the easier route. Don't factor the number. Just look at the actual number. How much money is your, your, in your proposal or how much money do you think it's worth? That's the, to- that's the value of that prospect. Now let's take all of our prospects. If we have 10 prospects, let's add up the total value. Some of them are probably a little bigger. Some of them are a little smaller. We add them all up. What do we get? Let's just, for argument's sake, say that the total of them is a million dollars. Don't factor it. Just look at that number and say, what was that number last week? Last week, when I totaled the value of all my prospects, maybe it was more than a million, and then I closed one of those sales, which is why it dropped. Or it was more than a million, and then somebody called me to say, now we're not going to go ahead. So it dropped. So what do I want? I want the same number every week. That's the challenge. And if I can maintain that streak, I'm going to feel great about that. And then finally, watch this average value. So let's say I have a total value of a million and I have 10 prospects. So that would make the average value 100,000. Well, you know, in reality, you've got some big, medium, and small size prospects. If you've got the right blend, you will maintain the right average even when you close something. If you don't have the right blend, watch what goes wrong. Let's say I have a million dollars in prospects, 10 prospects worth a million, one of them is worth 950,000 and the others are worth uh, uh, 10,000 each or 5,000 each. I close that 950,000 and the the average plummets from 100,000 to like 5,000. I don't want the average to plummet. I want the average to stay the same every week. So I've got four measures this week versus last week. Number of first appointments, number of prospects, total dollar value of my prospects, not weighted by the stage heading, by the percentage on top of that stage, and finally the average value of all of my prospects. What were those numbers last week? What's that number this week? I actually just want the same results week over week over week. Two more numbers. Two more numbers. How many of your first appointments resulted in a scheduled next step? Now, I'll tell you the first time I tracked that, I'd go on a meeting, see how well it went, leave, and if I walked out with a scheduled next step, i tracked that. And what I learned about myself was when I first got into sales that I needed seven, seven first appointments to have one scheduled next step. Well, you could argue that you really don't have a prospect until you have a scheduled next step. So I need seven first appointments to get one scheduled next step, and I need at least three to four to five prospects to get one sale. So all of a sudden, that means I need 20 first appointments to get one sale, 30 first appointments to get one sale. You know, the numbers became so big, and, th- and then to get that number of first appointments, I need to prospect to this number of leads, I need to generate this bigger number of leads. The numbers, the arithmetic just became too big. Seven first appointments to one scheduled next step was not a great ratio. Well, I changed that ratio and I didn't even think to change it until I started tracking. Tracking made me realize that I had two choices. Either I improve the conversion ratio or in fact, I come up with seven first appointments for every prospect I need. Well, I went the other way, improve the conversion ratio. I came up with a list of 10 meeting preparation steps. And as a result, and we'll go through these in uh, later sessions, but as a result of that, I was able to go from seven to one to 
to one. 1.9 first appointments to one scheduled next step. My sales quadrupled, not by getting better at asking for the order or presenting, but just getting a lot better at getting people who saw me once to see me a second time by appointment. There's a relatively long list of salespeople, relatively long list of salespeople who get invited to have an appointment with a customer. But there's an even shorter list of people who get invited back after that first meeting. You want to be on that short list. And my last number for you to track is called negotiating efficiency. Now, let me explain what that is. Sales negotiating is different than regular negotiating. For example, in regular negotiating, a company has a management and company may have a union and the union and the management have an argument and the union walks out. Well, eventually they have to come together. They can't walk out. That's it. From now on, we're never coming back. If they never come back, that company eventually will go out of business. The people would never get paid. That doesn't work. Both sides need each other. That's why they eventually have to resolve it. That's regular negotiation. Well, Sales doesn't have that. Sales has an imbalance. Sales has this bigger problem. You could, as a salesperson, decide that you're going to discount the price, but the customer could decide to never talk to you again. They could walk away and never come back. So for that reason, when we look at our negotiating efficiency, we have to be realistic about it. Here's what I know. You go into a sale, the customer starts to negotiate. What happens to the overall value? Did you cleverly negotiate it so that you gave the customer an even better deal for even more money? Or more likely, the money stayed the same or it got a little lower. You kept the money the same, but you gave some added value. You lowered the number a little bit. You gave them a little bit more, and that's what you needed to get this deal. So a simple way to look at that is, what is your average proposal value compared to your average contract value? How much money are we losing during the negotiation process? And if you say to me, I'm losing 20%, which is the number I found when I started looking at my own negotiating efficiency. And by the way, the worse the metric is, you know, you get yourself down in the dumps. Oh my God, it's terrible. I lose 20%. Keep in mind that if your goal is to keep improving, the worse something is, the easier it is to improve. And there's your emotional, psychological edge that you need, that thing that needs to be positive for you to encourage yourself. When I saw that it was 20%, the very first thing I did is I changed my forecasts. Now, when I look at the number of prospects and the value of the prospects, how much money is it worth? I remember, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. In the process of closing these deals, I'm probably going to have to negotiate, and I know now that I'm losing 20%. So rather than argue that, yeah, take a negotiating course, read books on negotiating, and I'll be recommending books along the way, but let's at least just count on not improving. Let's just say, what happens if I can't change that? I need to therefore add 20% more value to my average prospect or 20% more prospects in order to offset the money I'm losing when I negotiate. Well, if we don't do that, the reality is we're going to keep missing on our forecasts and we're going to be 20% lower than we thought we were going to be. So let's measure our negotiating efficiency. Let's measure our first appointment to schedule next steps. Let's do our last week versus this week with number of first appointments, number of prospects, total value of prospects, and average value of our prospects. And let's not forget to know our ideal and actual number of accounts or prospects that are in the almost closed stage. If you track those nine things, my friends, you can help but have a more successful year going forward and you will top last year this year. 
I hope you found this advice helpful. I want you to uh, be encouraged to reach out to me. If you have any questions, know that I will get to those answers, either personally, if you prefer, or on the air in this way. Follow me on LinkedIn. Contact me if I can help you have a more successful career where I can help your team make more sales. I look forward to next Saturday. Thank you for listening to Food for Thought. To get your free sales playbook, visit dmtraining.net forward slash podcast. And be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss any of Steve's jokes and helpful resources. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week.